All right. Today, we only have one more Apocrypha time to go, and we're not going to be able to cover all the Apocrypha. But today, we actually hit a couple of my favorite stories. And we have to, first of all, talk about Daniel. Daniel is an interesting case story in how stories and history intertwine. The book of Daniel that we have is considerably shorter than it is in many ancient texts. They have additions, other chapters to Daniel. And sometimes in the Apocrypha, they'll all be lumped together in a book called Additions to Daniel. Most of the time, they are split into three other books. You have Daniel, and then you'll have Susanna, Bell and the Dragon, and the Prayer of Azariah, sometimes even split, Prayer of Azariah and the Song of the Three Children. That's what we're going to look at today. If we have time to get to all of them, then we may actually look at a real quick other one as well. These are very, very short books. The book of Daniel, stories about Daniel are everywhere in the ancient text. He was kind of like, and I really don't have a, kind of like a Superman character. Always in the right time at the right place, always doing heroic deeds. Uh, in America, uh, maybe like the, the apocryphal stories that grew up around Daniel Boone or Davy Crockett or something like this, that sort of thing was who Dan, uh, Daniel was for them. How many of these stories are stories to, to encourage people and how many are history, that's a question that seems to have no answer at present. A lot of the things that went on in Daniel are historically accurate and some other things don't match the history of that time. And so it's, Daniel's one of those books that gives people a lot to wrestle with. Many people assume it's a historical novel with a, a sermon at the end of it. I think, I think we need to give it more credence than just calling it a historical novel. I think a lot of it is history. One of our problems with it is it's written in two languages. It starts in Hebrew, chapter one, verse one, and then in chapter two and verse four, it switches to Aramaic. Aramaic is a language that's related to Hebrew in the same way that French is related to Spanish. They come from the same family, but they are not always understandable by the different native speakers. For example, Gaelic. Um, I grew up with Gaelic in Scotland uh, on, in the Highlands. Uh, normal Scots people don't know any Gaelic at all. But if you're in the Highlands or an islander, like the Isle of Skye, Eileen Ocho, then you speak Gaelic. If I were to say to you, I am Patrick, I would say, Hami Fedrig. If I cross 40 miles across the water to Ireland, Irish Gaelic, I would not say, Hami Fedrig, I would say, Ismisa Patrick. It's very different, even though they're both called Gaelic. Well, Aramaic and Hebrew are very different. It switches in chapter 2, verse 4, and it goes all the way through chapter 7 in Aramaic, then it switches back to Hebrew usually. Sometimes it switches to Syriac or Chaldean. You see what I mean? Daniel's an interesting book. Chapters 1 through 6 are heroic wisdom tales that are typical of those created by what, what uh, historians call wisdom circles, the storytellers that would exist in any particular society. Those are writing teams that create literature to encourage and entertain their people. And the rest of the book is prophetic, and it's only concerned about Judah, not Israel at all. The 10 northern tribes don't get a mention. It's all about Judah, Jerusalem, and the temple. By the way, the interesting bits come later. Hang on. Daniel may have written the book, 
but the book we have dates from way after Daniel's life. Daniel lived about 597 BC, but this book dates from about 164 BC, 400 years later. How do we know that? I hear you cry. Because the words used for everything from instruments to uh, government officials to uh, all of those came into use way after Daniel lived. So this is a book about Daniel. By the way, the book never says it was written by Daniel. So that shouldn't give us any pause at all. By the way, Jews don't fuss about this a a bit. They don't fuss about literalism or what was dictated and what was historical and what's a novel. They don't fight about that at all. And neither did Christians until the Protestant uh, fundamentalist movement of the 1800s and 1900s. And then they started fighting over it. Before then, nobody worried about doing the math to see how much space a leopard would take on an ark. Because that misses the point of the story of the ark. Let's just tell the story of the ark. And they didn't try to figure out how a whale could swallow Jonah. They understood the story of Jonah, and they talked about the story. We often fight about the literalism to the point where we miss the point of the story. Anyway, let's take a look at the additions to Daniel. Susanna. It's a morality tale. It's a wisdom story. But here's what I like. It's a detective story. So is Bell and the Dragon. Dan, these are the first detective stories in all of literature. And it's pretty cool. Did, did anybody read these? Several are raising? Okay. Don't be ashamed if you didn't, because understand, not everybody has an apocrypha. All right, here we go. The religious civic leaders of the time were very corrupt. It wasn't like today when all politicians are actually pristine and perfect. I've got to tell you, I spent last um, Monday and Tuesday with over 1,000 FBI agents and federal agents of different agencies in St. Louis, Missouri. And part of Tuesday morning was with Director James Comey. And I know a lot of you only know him from what you've seen on the television. I've got to tell you something. He is perhaps one of the most honorable men I've ever known. He really is. And if you have any questions about that, you can come talk to me. Well, he stood there and he gave his talk, which was very amazing. But then he stood there for as long as he gave his talk. He stood there that much longer, open mic. You can ask me any question you want. He said, and yes, that includes about email and all of that. And that was an amazing room to be in, let me tell you, with these agents. Near the end, one agent came up and said, I only have one question, director. James Comey for president. And of course, a lot of people were applauding and such. And James Comey went, no, 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 no. And he said, and I'll tell you why. He says, I want to be careful the way I say this. He's careful about everything he says. He says, because I have some, polit- some friends of mine that are politicians. I can't be a politician. He says, as an FBI agent, my job is to seek truth and speak truth. Their job is different. Ooh. I'm going to vote for him anyway. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Anyway, so religious and civic leaders were very corrupt. They took what they wanted. They abused their power. There was no Bill of Rights. People in America, one of the reasons, one of the main reasons I live in America, in fact, 80% of the reason I live in America is the Bill of Rights. We don't have that in Scotland. 
You know how that in Canada, they have a charter of rights that they, that they accepted, uh, what was that, about 20 years ago, but it's still not anything like yours. Other countries don't have it. Other countries, the law is whatever the lawyers say it is. And here you're getting to there, but you still have a bill of rights. And that's so amazing. They didn't have anything like this. Enter Susanna, the pious and pure wife of the respected Jehoiakim. But things are going to go south. She was an exceptionally beautiful woman. And some of the elders of the people, remember, religious leaders were also your civic political leaders. There was no separation. Some of the elders of the people lusted after her. She would take a walk in her garden afternoon when the house was empty or nearly so. Have you ever walked in a garden in the heat of a day that has the, like in Key West, one of those gardens, where you have shade? Oh my goodness, it's so much nicer. You can be broiling in the sun and walk, and there's no air conditioning or fan, but something about being in the garden cools you off. Um, that's what she would do. Two elders in particular made sure that they were around when she would walk into her garden so that they could lust after her, and lust and opportunity eventually will lead to a plan. In fact, they caught each other lusting after her when they both tried to hide behind the same bush. What are you doing here? And eventually they realized that they were both just looking at this beautiful woman lusting after her and they wanted to catch her alone to find the right moment. That moment came when Susanna decided to bathe in the cool of the garden. Two maids were with her. None of the three knew that two elders were hiding in the bushes. Susanna told the maids to bring her oil and soap and then to lock the gates when they left so she would have absolute privacy. They did, not knowing they were locking gates with two elders inside who had nefarious motives. The elders took their chance. They approached her and said, if you don't have sex with us, we're going to claim that you were seen in there with a young man. People, this was not God's idea. But in this society and in the Middle East today, a woman can be beaten to death because she was seen with a man she's not related to. It happens a lot. Two weeks ago, 40 young women were burned alive for refusing to have sex with the ISIS warriors. I have only seen a couple of videos. Again, I'm with law enforcement. I, I, see, I, I go up with Homeland Security. I go speak to Interpol. I've had to see a couple of videos. I refuse to see any more. Uh, of men beating a woman to death laughing and the crowd holding up cameras and laughing at her cries of misery. That's what these elders were saying they were going to do. We're going to claim that you were in here with a young man if you don't have sex with us. Susanna says, quote, I am completely trapped. If I yield, it will be my death because she will be committing adultery with elders and she knows they're they're going to misuse her. I can, if I refuse, I cannot escape your power. She decides, quote, It is better for me not to do it and fall into your power than to sin before the Lord. So she screamed. The two old men shouted back, and the noise attracted other people. The gates were broken in. Those rushing in were met by the elders who said, We were passing by, and we heard something, and we found this woman having sex with a young man. Now, the young man escaped. Isn't it interesting how often the man escapes? Do you remember the woman caught in adultery, brought to Jesus? Where's the guy? Oh, 
Jesus didn't have much respect for that attitude. And they were saying, you know, we caught, we caught her, but, and by the way, she'll probably still be in a state of undress of some, to some degree. And that is even more scandalizing because now everybody's there and looking at her. All were appalled, all were scandalized. The two elders went to Jehoiakim, her husband, and demanded that she put, be put to death for adultery. They had him now because if he disagrees, he's killed. But if he agrees, even if he believes she's guilty, which is never, this never seems to be that he does, but even if he believed it, he would always be the man whose wife was an adulteress. By the way, Jesus' mother was always looked at that way. Never think of that. People would walk up to Jesus and say, we know who our father is when she was standing right beside him. What a miserable life she had. Anyway, uh, the people were sent to get Susanna. She came along with her parents, servants, friends. All of them are crying. They're devastated, not knowing what to believe. But these are their leaders. And they're telling this, this story. But everybody knows regardless of what happens now, Susanna's doomed. There's no check and balance. There's no trial. The two elder, uh, elders hypocritically, I just, it's amazing, laid their hands on her head and swore before heaven that they saw a young man in there and they were having sex under a tree. Well, that's all the trial that there is. Susanna cries out loud to God, quote, Eternal God, you know what is hidden and are aware of all things before they come to be. You know they have testified falsely against me. Here I am about to die, though I've done none of the things for which these men have condemned me. It's not brought up, but at that point, she probably would have been beaten by the men. That was normal. As they're heading to the place of execution, they pass a young man named Daniel. And he shouts out, he says, I'm not, I am innocent of the blood of this woman. And that stops everything because the whole, if you, if you didn't join in, you were considered guilty too. He's basically saying, you kill her, you kill me. But here's, and it's not really made plain in the book, Susanna, but if you read, if you read it as a part of Daniel, it's plain. Then why didn't they just kill him? Because he's in with the king. And he's saying, I'm innocent of this woman's blood. You can't do this in my name. And now they're kind of stuck because we're supposed to then take you and kill you, but we can't because you're in with Cyrus or Darius at that time. Daniel steps up and he says, are you such fools, you Israelites, to condemn a daughter of Israel without investigation and clear evidence? And he challenged them to return to court. Now Daniel gets a bit sarcastic and snarky here which makes me like him even more, turns to the elders and he says, come and sit with us and inform us since God has given you the prestige of old age. But then suddenly he turns to the people and he says, separate these men. Now, today this is standard police procedure that had never been done before. And this is the first detective story. He says, separate these men. He uh, approaches each one of them one at a time, accusing them of being guilty and saying the other guy is innocent. Is this familiar to anybody who's watched police dramas? Right? And then saying the other guy is going to tell on you if you don't sell the truth. Is that common now? This is NBC, actually. Uh, and 
He gets the guy off balance. He gets him confused. And he goes, what kind of tree were they having sex under? And the guy goes, a mastic tree. It's a very small tree. Daniel says, I can, that proves you're lying. It didn't prove anything. But that's a standard police thing. Is no matter, even if they say the truth, say, no, that's a lie and we can prove it. Because it gets them off balance. And you can almost see the guy going, humming, humming, humming. <laughs> he doesn't know what to do. And he dismisses him. He has, tells the people, you take him over there. Goes to the other elder. And he tells, the other guy told on you. He's innocent, but you're guilty. And the guy's, oh, no. And he's going to turn first and all the other. And uh, he says, what kind of tree were the two under? And he says, an oak tree. It's a big tree. It's busted. Their stories don't match. Standard procedure now. In any crime, separate the, the defendants before you ask them. Don't let them get their story straight. And he says, your fine lie has cost you also your head. But the angel of God awaits for you with a sword to cut you in two and destroy you both. And they were killed for bringing the false accusation. By the way, as far as I can tell, in the literature of the ancient world, that was the first time men were killed for bringing a false accusation against a woman. This is a really important chapter. And I'm glad it's in the Apocrypha and saved for us. It was his first public act. Gained him great credit among his people. And that was important because Daniel was a vassal, a vassal of Nebuchadnezzar. It had been easy for him to have had no street cred with the Jews. But now they see he's going to put his life on the line for Susanna. And saves them by condemning the two evil leches that prayed as elders. By the way, Susanna and Jehoiakim live happily ever after. Now, Bell and the Dragon, it's another detective story. Got to make sure I'm looking at the right clock, because one of the clocks says it's after one o'clock. I don't think it is, but if it is, I'd like to apologize. It was Joe. Joe went too long. He just went too long. That's, that's it. Me, I was fine. And, and, and um, that Holloway guy sang too many verses. That's what it was. Soldiers of Christ arise. Who needs all those verses? Anyway, um, Bell and the Dragon. Sometime later, the Babylonians were... This is going to sound very familiar because there are a lot of parallels with a story you already know. The Babylonians were jealous of Daniel's status with Cyrus, the Persian king over Babylon. Remember, Daniel was under Nebuchadnezzar. The Nebuchadnezzar is overthrown by Darius the Mede. No relation. And then... When Darius dies, Cyrus the Persian takes over. Persians and Medes were in um, an alliance at that time. And so Daniel is under all three of them at one time or another. This is under Cyrus. Uh, he was a favorite, Daniel was, and trusted. The Babylonians did not like this, that a Jew was in so tight with their king. They sought a way to bring him down. Now under Darius, what did they do? They found that uh, they decided to make a law that you could only pray to the king. Remember that? Well, this is very similar. They want to find a way to make Daniel other. This is very important. In the list of things that God hates, what's number one? Jew. Sorry? Oh, no, you're right in the commandments. There's a list, however, in Proverbs 6 of the things God hates. What's number one? Hot, yeah, proud heart. Yeah, there we go. Haughty eyes. You cannot hurt somebody or misuse them until you consider yourself better than them. That's the start of it. And so they've got to find a way to bring him down, make him other, make him different. 
Well, the Babylonians worshipped a dragon, perhaps a, at this point it was an idol, but perhaps modeled after a big lizard, a Komodo or something like that. You know, I'm not saying a Komodo, they're Indonesian, I know, uh, a big snake or something. Daniel did not worship it, and they went, aha. Daniel, when he's called before the king, saying, why don't you worship it? Everybody else does. He says, I will not worship a false god that's only clay and bronze, not living. He says, I serve a living God, not one that is clay covered with bronze. The people scoffed at that and said, but it is living. Because every day we bring it food and water and wine. And every morning it's gone. What more do you need than that? This thing is living. And if you're thinking, how silly, please be aware that two-thirds of the world continues to do that. You been to Thailand? Been to India? Been to Nepal? Probably haven't been to Bhutan. But you go to those places every day. Poor people who barely have enough food to stay alive bring that food and set it before big golden gods. You may even want to Google the Indian city of Pagan. Seriously, that's what it's named. Oh my goodness. People still do this. The king was in a bad position. He told Daniel, or one of his lackeys did, the thing's eating the food. And you're saying it's not alive. If you can't figure out that the thing's alive or who's eating the food, I'm going to have to punish you. I'm going to have to kill you. Daniel basically said in Aramaic, cool. Here's the setup. The 70 priests said that they would have the king set out food for the idol. The king, everybody trusts the king. Cyrus seemed to be a good guy. And then they would all leave and they'd lock the door and seal it with the king's seal. Now, nobody messes with the king's seal. That was just, you knew that. Then they, they had to have a guard there and then all night long. Then the next morning, the king himself would come and break the seal, open the locked room. If the food was gone, Daniel must die. Everybody agrees. Even Daniel says, sure. <laughs> Daniel's pretty cool. Well, you see, the priest had a secret tunnel getting in and out of the room. And every night, they'd take their families in there and have a big party, eating the food and drinking the wine, having a good time, then putting the bowls up and going back through the, t the tunnel. So that night, they snuck in as usual. They ate the food and had the drink with their families. Next morning, the king and Daniel approached the doors. The seal is checked. It's found to be unbroken. The doors are open, and it's obvious that the food and drink are gone. And the king shouted out praise to Bel, his god. Remember, Daniel's name was also changed to Belshazzar, to praise Bel. So the king immediately goes, praise Bel, he is alive. He ate the food, and, and Daniel's basically tapping the king on the shoulder going, not so quick. He wouldn't let the king even enter the room. He said, squat down here and look. Daniel had sprinkled the floor with flour, powder. When he knelt down, they saw all the footprints of the priest and the wives and the children. Daniel then said, now you know, it wasn't Bell, the snake, the dragon, that ate this. It was the priest, and they're lying to you. Well, the king was outraged, and the, pri the priests were killed. But there's another dragon. You get two dragons in Bell and the dragon. There's another dragon. This one's a living one. Probably, again, a very large snake, although it could have been 
a crocodile. It could have been that the, people did travel. It could have been, you know, a lizard that doesn't live anymore. There are lots of uh, stories of ancient things that we might even want to call a dinosaur that still show up every now and then, like a coelacanth. If you don't remember, you know, that was a, a fish that was supposed to be extinct for many millions of years, and stupid fishermen off Madagascar didn't know that, so they kept catching them. Um, it's kind of like bumblebee. Every time I see a bumblebee, I say, you idiot. Because bumblebees cannot fly. The laws of physics about weight and ratio of wing and surface area, they cannot fly. And I'm saying, you, you idiot. you're only fooling yourself, you know. Anyway, hope you know that that's sarcasm. This one's a living thing of some sort. Now, the king was certain that this one living was a real God and asked Daniel, well, why don't you serve this one? And Daniel says, if I can kill it without sword or club, is it God? And they're going, well, no. But you can't kill this. Certainly without a sword or a club. Daniel says, sure it can. So Daniel makes up cakes to offer to the, um, the snake, the dragon. He puts in there hair, fat, and pitch. Now, if you're thinking, well, what? Snake would eat that. Uh, snakes don't have taste buds. They don't chew it. They swallow it and then digest it, right? Have you seen the picture on the, um, on the internet? You can, and if, it's, if you can't believe the internet, no, this one actually, this one's actually legitimate of a, uh, of a snake uh, that swallowed um, a... Uh, a crocodile, and the crocodile bit its way out. There are a couple like that you can find where the snake swallowed the wrong thing and it fought back from the inside. Well, he throws this in there. The fish, oh, I'm sorry, the fish, no, sorry. I'm thinking fish again. Uh, the dragon eats it, and the intestines burst, unable to digest what he's eaten, and it dies. And Daniel looks at the king and says, and this is what you worship. That's really interesting. What you think of that? When I drive around, sometimes I will look off and into the weeds, there's this molding, falling down house that used to be something. All oh my columns, big Greek things, Doric things, and big overgrown entryway, and something happened. People gave up their lives to build and maintain this, and now it's just... Every time before I buy a new vehicle, um, I actually have a discipline I do. This may sound odd to some of you. I make myself go and sit outside for a couple of hours, just the other side of the street, and just sit and look at a last-chance car lot. You know the ones I'm talking about? Buy here, we finance here. There's a, a dog and a wallet on a chain. Uh, there's... Um, it is, this is not a happy place. And I just look at it and remind myself that every one of these cars once was shiny and new, and people gave up a lot of their life to pay for this. And they cared for it, and they polished it, and they, they loved it, and they said, if I buy this, this will make me happy. And it did for a while, didn't it? For a while. And this is what you worshipped. That's what Daniel hits the king with. This is what you worshipped. The, the priests were furious and claimed that the king had become a Jew. Had become a Jew, rather. Became a Jew. I was a public speaker. Sometimes I put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. 
the more embarrassed to stand, the longer I get. Anyway, um, if you, um, back then, if you worshipped a particular god, you became the people that worshipped that god. They're saying, you're worshipping his god now, you must be a Jew. And even back then, that could get him in trouble. They rose up against the king and evidently startled him enough that he gave in to their demands. This is where it'll start sounding familiar. They said, you're going to need to throw him into the lion's den. For Daniel, if this story falls in where we think it does, this is his second trip. Darius had done that before. They starved the lions, however, this time so that they would fall upon Daniel quickly. Meanwhile, back at the ranch... All this is happening over here, Babylon. Over here in Judah, simple little prophet, couldn't even be bothered to write much. His name was Habakkuk. Looks like Habakkuk, but it's pronounced Habakkuk, trust me. He, only, he wrote a little short thing. We don't know anything much about him, but God speaks to him and says, I need you to get some food and to go to Babylon and feed a prisoner there. And Habakkuk going, I don't think so. He goes, I don't know anybody in Babylon. I've never been to Babylon, and I, I don't know the king there. I can't get in to see the king. Are, are most of you aware that in most nations, when you're sent into prison, that your family has to bring your food? If they don't, you die? Uh, I, w I was in Panama a few years ago, outside the prison there. Wasn't going in. I have an alibi. But I was there, and standing among hundreds of people waiting for their chance to get in to take food or a, a piece of clothing to the prisoner inside. And it's just one of the most heartbreaking things I can think of. Um, Daniel's going to have no food in there. And so God goes to get Habakkuk. And Habakkuk basically says, I can't get there anyway. And I love this scene. I just love this scene. The angel of the Lord grabs him by his head and just flies anyway. <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, just you know, by a hair ahead. It's according to your, the word you want to use. And by the speed of the wind. And I imagine Habakkuk learned not to say no to God after this trip. And wants to get upgraded to coach. And he sets him down in Babylon in the den. He gives Daniel the food. It's kind of like, and then, and he's taken away. <laughs> That's all we needed you for, Habakkuk. Thanks for playing. Um, here's the at-home version to play when you go at home. The king comes back to check on Daniel, finds him alive. He rejoices, and you know what's coming next. Tosses the priest that accused him into the, the lion's den, and they eat them up. In the, in the book of Daniel, the bad guys getting killed is uh, considered a happy ending. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, Again, detective story. The flower, figuring out how to feed this thing. This is the first, these are the first detective stories in all of literature. Do you know the first detective story in, in English? It was The Woman in White by Wilkie Collins. Um, you don't really need to know that, I guess. Sorry. Um, I know so much stuff that won't help you just will not help you. So, another addition to the book of Daniel is a prayer of Azariah. Now, you might say, well, who's Azariah and what should, why should we care? You know these men as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But that wasn't their names. 
that was their Babylonian names. They had Hebrew names, Mishael and Azariah. And these, these, were, these were Hebrew boys that were given another name because you're not allowed to have a Jew name. But Azariah, we know this story. This chapter tells us what happened when they were thrown into the, the furnace. You know, but it, this is all written in there during that time. We know they were thrown into the fiery furnace. We know that they were saved. But do you know, as Paul Harvey would have said back in the day, the rest of the story. Azariah was one of the three. And it's a beautiful prayer. The prayer of Azariah in the furnace. It's a 22-verse um, prayer. And uh, I feel like we've got some, we've just got a little bit of time here. Blessed art thou, O Lord, God of our fathers, and worthy of praise. Thy name is glorified forever. For you are just in all that you've done to us, and all your works are true, and thy ways right, and thy judgments are truth. I want to bring that up. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, in the list of all the heroes, the reason it's called heroes, it says, because they did not love their lives unto death. They weren't afraid of dying. Why are we so afraid of dying? My dad, back before he had all the strokes and went blind and such, and he would always tell me, I want to live to be 100. And I would say, I don't want you to. And he'd look at me and he'd say, well, why not? And I'd say, because I'll be 87 and I won't remember where I put you. <laughs> It'll just be a source of annoyance. Well, now he is very ill and he doesn't want to live to be 100. And he asked me to pray over him that God would take him. Everybody understands that. Do you know it? Everybody? Right, sure. What is it about us that makes us so terrified of not living long and at the same time terrified that we'll live longer than our money? Isn't that weird? That's so odd. Azariah here isn't saying, God, we're going to die. You should stop this. He's saying, you know, God, I want to say something about you. You are right in everything you do. And we're going to die saying you're right. How different is that from us? I have to say us. Because I, I can get a cold and say, there is no God. I, I, I can be fickle. Now, maybe you're not fickle. Maybe you are, no, you're not. Don't lie. We all have, you, you, you have to get to somewhere because there's somebody going to be baptized. Ah, there's a traffic jam. God, Really? I love the prayer of Azariah because it reminds me that even as you're dying, it's a good idea to look at God and say, I'm still on your side and I still believe in you. Um, he goes, all that's been brought unto us has been done in true judgment. You've given us into the hands of lawless enemies, the most hateful re rebels, but don't give us up utterly. Don't take away your mercy from us. And then the last that I want to do today, the song of the three Jews. It's really the same chapter in the additions to Daniel. I'm going to read uh, verse 23 and forward. Now the king's servants who threw the men did not cease feeding the furnace fires with naphtha pitch. Naphtha is like, uh, it, it not only burns, but when it, it hits you, it sticks when it burns. All right? Um, humans have used Greek fire and I'm, I'm some, for some reason, I'm going blank. What's the thing that they used? Napalm, exactly. Same concept. Pitch, 
tow, and brush. And the flames streamed out above the furnace, 49 cubits, cubits uh, this high. So generally we say 18 inches per cubit, but it varied according to your foreman. And it broke through and burned those of the Chaldeans who had caught about the furnace. But the angel of the Lord came down into the furnace to be with Azariah and his companions. He came to be with them. God will not always do for us what he did for them. Get that in your head. However, he will be with you. Jesus says something so odd that translators have an issue with it. Many of you have read, for even a sparrow will not fall to earth without the Father's will, or even a sparrow will not fall to earth without the Father's knowledge. That's not what any ancient manuscript says. All of them say, even a bird will not fall to earth without the Father. God won't even let a bird die alone. Think of that. Does that make you like God a little bit more? I do. I think he's pretty cool. Come on, he figured out peacocks and platypuses. That's, that's cool. And giraffes, no reason, just, there they are. Probably even made that noise. I bet it made that noise, because it would, it would, anyway. Azariah and his commitment drove the fiery flame out of the furnace and made in the midst of the furnace like a moist, whistling wind so that the fire did not touch them at all or hurt or trouble them. Then the three as with one mouth praised and glorified and blessed God in the furnace saying, and it goes on there, and it's a very Celtic prayer. I'll say that as we close because we're going to have a baptism. So again, if you have to flee, we get that. But we'd love it if you could hang about and encourage the wee one. Um, the Celts, if you don't know what a Celt is, it's the people that used to live around Galatia. Uh, uh, they were the wild people of Galatians, the Gauls, but they were driven to the corners of Europe. And so today they only exist in the highlands of Scotland, in uh, Ireland, especially the Gaeltacht, the Gaelic-speaking area, um, the Isle of Man, uh, Brittany and Normandy in France, Corsica and Sardinia, the islands, they're, they're just shoved to the edges, the Celtic folk. And the Celtic people have a prayer tradition you know, I light this in the name of the Father, this, the morning fi fire, and let the, the glow of the light remind me of the Blessed Mother. And everything they do is this long prayer. I'm just going to give you a piece of it here. Bless the Lord, all works of the Lord. Sing praise to him and highly exalt him forever. That phrase keeps repeating. I'll skip that now. Bless the Lord, you heavens. Bless the Lord, you angels of the Lord. Bless the Lord, all waters above the heaven. Bless the Lord, all powers. Bless the Lord, sun and moon. Bless the Lord, stars of heaven. It keeps going like this. That is so Celtic. That's the way we pray. And I, it just, it kind of tickles me that that kind of Celtic prayer is in the Bible, even if it's just in the, um, the Apocrypha. We have a song that, uh, backpacks on, uh, back rides on this. You know, bless the Lord, winter cold and summer heat. Bless the Lord, dews and snow. Bless the Lord, nights and days. And we have an old hymn that talks about let his name be exalted. Bless his name, young men and magens, aged men and children all, and about dragons and storms. Guess where they got it? From the prayer of the three children in the furnace. And now you know the rest of the story. By the way, the prayer of Manasseh, I'll just mention it. Interestingly, 
in the book of Second Kings, Manasseh is considered the most evil of all kings and he dies and he's buried with the other evil kings and nobody loves him. In Second Chronicles, which is written in Babylon to encourage the people to repent, Manasseh repents right before he dies. And so it's all good with a very short prayer. And again, it was, it was a different sermon for a different purpose to encourage the people there that needed him. Uh, and it's, that's, that's what Chronicles does, by the way. And so it's a very short prayer. And once again, it starts in Aramaic and then it goes into Syriac. So whether or not he actually said it or it's just a story, it's interesting because I remember in, with Jesus, he talks about if they've worked with me 12 hours and I've agreed a wage, and they've worked with me one hour and they, I've agreed a wage, it's me that agrees the wage. I believe in deathbed repentance because I believe in a God who can't wait to save us rather than searches for a way to condemn.